0: Well, good morning everyone. Happy Wednesday to you all. I'm not accustomed to saying that, doing videos on Mondays and Thursdays. But yes, uh, given that it's going to be a lot of snow going around this morning, wanted to have a devotional ready for you guys, uh, just uh, on the anticipation that we won't be able to get to meet tonight. Which is sad, but this is going to be the best we'll have to do for now. So, uh, thank you for, so much for joining us. It's uh, lovely to see you this morning. And today, as we're following the Redeeming Life reading plan, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 22, and what we're going to focus on primarily is the the passage about the parable of the wedding banquet, which is a series of parables, uh, three of them in fact, that are not just important in understanding them. Uh, is you're not just considering what it is that's being said, but where it's being said, because here these parables are are being told. Uh, in Jerusalem. And they have uh, a, an angle, uh, a, a meaning, that's directed particularly at the audience of the people within Jerusalem. The people who, if you would look at them and regard them as anything, that their their chief identity is bound up with being God's chosen people. That uh, this is Passover and people are streaming in to celebrate this Uh, essential holiday that represents everything it means to be a Jew and being a part of the the chosen people of God in Jerusalem, in the capital, in the city of David, um, David's capital, and where there's the temple and there's people worshiping, and uh, and that that if you had any kind of sense about what it means to be like the chosen people of God, uh, here is where you would see it, you would know it, you would taste it, you would hear it, you would sense it. Uh, it's all bound up within this particular occasion, this particular sphere, uh, and certainly in association with the, the, the religious leaders who represent the very top, the, the, the influencers who uh, really embody our, their archetypical examples of what it means to be a part of the chosen people of God. And so when Jesus, here in Jerusalem, and he's doing this, uh, and is telling these parables, and they're being told in such a way as to challenge, to challenge this idea that's in their head about what it means to be the chosen people of God. And all of this gets leads up to and gets tied up with the very end of the passage that we're going to 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 uh, to read. it's a it's an epigram. It's a short, uh, terse saying that just, uh, summarizes the essence of the last three parables that, we, that we've read. So, uh, the, this parable of the wedding feast is the, is the last of the three, and that's where we're going to, to end. And so, in retrospect, if we had redone this reading plan, we probably would have put all three of these together, but that's bridge, un- bridge under the water. Did I almost say that? Water under the bridge. And so, we'll just have to deal with that in a few years from now. So. But I digress. So, let's, before we read this, I want to pose a question to you. That is, what does it mean to be called, and what does it mean to be chosen? What does it mean to be called, and what does it mean to be chosen? Because in our way of thinking, and I believe indeed in their way of thinking, it is very easy to treat uh, the fact that you're called and the fact that you're chosen as something like synonyms they essentially mean the same thing we might put it this way remember going to school and there's recess and uh, everybody's playing and soon together uh, half if not whole the whole of the, the your class uh, congregates to one side of the playground to start a game of dodgeball and uh there's you know two team captains, usually the most popular or athletic of the two, who uh sit aside and they start picking teams. And so then there's a uh a, you know this this group of people and one person calls out this person and then the next person calls out that person. And this is just a slow one-by-one single dividing into two teams, so that hopefully by uh wise and democratic uh, process that you get an even balance of two teams. But, but you know what happens, where there's, there's a leader who's putting together his team and he calls out somebody and because they're called, that means they're chosen. And uh, and so the next person calls out, because they're called and they go to the team, that means they're chosen. Called means chosen. Called means chosen. Called means chosen. But what you have here in this parable uh, shows us, the readers, the audience, that just because you're called does not mean that you're chosen. And indeed, the way it closes is to say many are called. Perhaps you could say all are called, but few are chosen. And it Begs this question: What does it mean to be chosen? If, if, if calling isn't the same as 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 being chosen, then then that gives us a new idea or uh, forces us to rethink about what it means to be chosen. Uh, So let's read together. And mind you, there are some features. There's a trigger warning for you. There are some features in this parable that you will probably find disturbing. And a little bit uh, strange, very foreign, but uh, we'll pause and, and reflect on them a little bit and then continue with the parable. And this is uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through, let's get this right, 14, 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. The king is presumably God. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. What's happening here is this two-stage invitation process where servants are sent to, to uh, not to offer an initial invitation, but to tell them it's time to come. Uh, the feast is prepared. Now it's time to come. And it says... Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm and another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treating them shamefully, and killed them. Now, It should come, even as a shock to the readers, that by rejecting uh, people who are coming to say, hey, the feast is ready that you said you'd come to, and if you don't come, the best of what the king has to offer is going to go to waste, so let's get on with it. Put aside all the things that you're being preoccupied with, your your farm to your business, and come. And to, to go off and kill them, Uh, does seem a little bit extreme, does it not? When it's something that's that's so extreme, that's usually meant to refer to something a little more specific in its real-world application, namely about how later Jesus will look at Jerusalem and say, you who mistreat and kill your prophets, that what he's referring to is the way in which God And his promises and his love for his people, his covenant people, is prepared and it's wonderful. And the time has come for them to come and respond. And this is how they respond. They mistreat them. They disregard them. They say, I don't care. And they'll even go so far as to say, uh, I'd rather kill the messengers who are coming so that I can shut out God and his claims upon my life and upon my world. Uh, that that's the way it is that they treated the prophets, and that's probably what he's referring to here. Ah, uh, and says, the king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Again, very extreme. Uh, it does seem a little heavy-handed, even on a king's part, to say if you're not coming to your son's wedding banquet, that if you do, if you if you treat the king so contemptuously that you would uh, be punished but not, your city wouldn't be burned down. But again, this is an extreme part where uh, a good many, probably most interpreters uh, take this as a reference to the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and that's about to come in AD 70. And so we don't need to digress into the, the date uh, of and the writing of Matthew, in this case, we could do that another time. But that's probably what it is that he's referring to. Uh, And so, uh, that clearly, in this uh, uh, calling to the Jews, Jesus is telling this parable to make it clear that, that to see what it is that God has done for his chosen people, who he chose, and who would not respond. These are the many who are called. Uh, The the people of Israel, they were called. The Pharisees, they are called. The Sadducees, they are called. The Herodians, they are called. The the, um, Zealots, they are called. But apparently, they will not respond. Uh, And it says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main roads, and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. So he's casting his nets even wider, where he's bringing in a, almost inviting an indiscriminate uh, amount of people because uh, the, the, everyone is, is the, the, the call, in other words, is being expanded. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And here's where things admittedly get even more tricky as far as the interpretation about why it is that Matthew includes this in his parable. Because you would think, so that wedding hall was filled with guests, that the story could end there. It doesn't. Uh, So let's read. Verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. What is probably meant when he's talking about not coming in with a wedding garment? It assumes that everybody has something, if they're invited to a wedding, something appropriate, an unspoiled garment to wear to the wedding. And... What's interesting about this person who has come in uh, is that at some level he treated this open invitation as one that had no demands on his life, where it's like he came but was not prepared to change. Uh, He does not bear uh, fruits of repentance that... Uh, characterize people who are not just invited but who participate in fellowship with God in his kingdom in the kingdom of heaven, and so it's he accepted, in other words, this free gift of salvation, you might say by coming and participating uh but would not actually repent, change, respond, become as it were, a person who is fit for for um, for God and his purposes in his perfect kingdom. And so, it says 13, verse 13, The king Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So again, very severe language, but severe enough for us to... Uh, have our ears perk up at the severity of what it is that that this person has done? Where apparently he did not think that coming and not wearing a wedding garment, uh, in other words, a lifestyle change that that is befitting of 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 God in his celebration in his in his world, that he thought he could just uh, you know carry on, and the cost of something like that is. It is very, 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 very costly, as we can tell here. And that's an important thing, certainly, for us, not least because uh, what's evident in this case is that this should warn us to not judge prematurely about the status of one person's salvation or another or my own or my wife's or Jesse's or anybody's. Um, It's not that I doubt them, but, but the fact remains the same. Just as... There were people who were on the outside, the Israelites, who were called, but not chosen. That uh, the same is true for, for us, that God calls us all, but that doesn't necessarily make us his chosen people. And this is where it closes with this epigram in verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. So I think it's pretty clear at this point that what this parable is instructive for us is to clarify that just because being called is not the same thing as being chosen. So the real question for us is, what does it mean to be chosen? And I think it's pretty clear what it means to be chosen. Is that how you know somebody is chosen is because they've responded to the call of God upon their lives. That's how you could recognize whether or not somebody is chosen or not. In other words, um, they haven't, if we're using the analogy of the dodgeball, you know, picking teams and that sort of thing, that just because somebody is called doesn't mean they can say, ah, oh, you know what, dodgeball really isn't my thing. I think I'm going to go play hopscotch with, you know, you know, over in the corner by myself. Uh, you can do that. So just because somebody is called doesn't mean that that's the person who is chosen. Uh, because then he'll go off and choose somebody else who wants to be a part of what's, what's happening. The plain fact is that you know somebody is chosen is because they've responded to God's call upon their lives. And I think this is probably one of the things that the, the television series, television series uh, uh, streaming that's uh, uh, been so immensely popular right now, the chosen is titled precisely because of that. Because it's telling the story of Jesus in a dramatic and powerful, and I think very historically accurate fashion. Um, There always has to be some writing between the lines in order to get a a narrative to fit together, but I digress. It's still a very good, uh, a very, very good uh, series, and I highly recommend it. But the reason why it's called The Chosen is that the way that the story is told is how the lives of the disciples are changed, it's talking about the chosen because these people's lives have changed because they responded to God's call upon their lives to be his people, to be the chosen people of God. That because they're chosen, that means they can leave behind the lives that they once lived, the standards that they once lived, uh, or that they they held, um, the life of sin that corrupted everything it is that they touched. Um, the, the injustice that they had to bear, and that because they bore it, they would dish out more of it. Uh, all of that, you can wipe that away because that's not you. You are part of the chosen people of God, and you know that they're chosen because they responded. And so that is a, a lesson that all of us uh, need to hear, that we don't just simply presume on our salvation, but that we make it our daily priority, not merely to um, to heed God's call in our lives, but to respond to it, to say, God, you've called me, and because I, I've you, you've called me, I'm going to follow you, and that's what's going to set me apart, because that's what makes me a part of the chosen people of God. Both things are going at once. God's call upon our lives, and our call to respond. That's what makes you chosen. So, thank you so much for joining us for Daily Devotions, The Redeeming Life. Uh, I hope you Uh, subscribed if you haven't please do so so you can get daily notifications to follow along and i pray god would bless you and keep you uh, and that he would transform you and all of us uh into the the chosen people of god that we would uh respond with tender hearts um ready minds uh a willing spirit to be the sort of people god has called us to be so god bless you take care